look at the Tennessee Titans. You know, at first, when Derek went plant-based, his teammates were making fun of him. And all of a sudden, halfway through the season, he's not in the training room all the time. He's able to hit the weights and train harder. He's recovering faster. His performance on the field is escalated. And all of a sudden, these same guys that are making fun of him are coming up to him and say, hey, now what is it you're doing again? Well, hello there, and welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for giving the show a listen this week, or a view, maybe a download, wherever it is in the world that you are. We appreciate the fact that you are here. And you are here on the cusp of the biggest day of the year on the sports calendar. This Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday. The Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers getting ready to battle it out on the gridiron with an NFL championship and the Lombardi Trophy on the line. Now, hundreds of millions of people will be tuning in to watch the game, and for the first time, many of them will be vegan curious because there is a buzz surrounding the athletes who are now fueled by a plant-based diet. People are wondering... Can they still perform at an elite level without meat and dairy? Will their skills diminish just by eating plants? Well, those are fine questions, and we now have those answers following the release of the Game Changers documentary. And that movie, that film, it helped to put a bright spotlight on vegan athletes. And what the science is showing and what players are proving is that yes, you can thrive on a plant-based diet without diminishing your skills and actually improve your performance, become a better competitor. (laughs) All you need to do really is ask Chief Safety Tyron Mathow. He will be suiting up Sunday and playing for the title. And for him, switching to that plant-based diet, man, that seems to be paying off nicely. Let me give you some stats. He picked off four passes this season. That's one shy of a career best. And he earned first-team All-Pro honors. Not to mention, he signed a three-year, $42 million contract before the season started. Pretty good, right? I'll say. So today's show is going to be devoted to the science of how Mathal and other athletes are excelling when they're being fueled exclusively by plants. And to break everything down, to be our man behind the telestrator, Dr. Jim Loomis will be joining us. He, of course, featured in the Game Changers documentary, and he also just so happens to be the medical director here at the Barnard Medical Center. So he and I recently had a chance to sit down at Green Fair Restaurant just outside of Washington, D.C. for a wide-ranging interview on all of this. Lots to discuss there. And what I found particularly fascinating during our conversation was his response when I asked him about Carolina Panthers quarterback Cam Newton. Now, Newton, of course, not playing in the Super Bowl, but he is a heck of a quarterback, but unfortunately, snake-bitten with injuries at the moment, meaning he's been on the shelf battling this and that. So here's the thing about Cam Newton. There was a nutritionist who asserted that all of Newton's injuries can be chalked up by the fact that he's been eating a plant-based diet. Dr. Loomis, well, he steadfastly disagrees and had quite a bit to say about that, as you might imagine. And then after I speak with Dr. Loomis, we're going to give you some game day plant-based recipes that will turn your party into an all-pro blowout. Quarterbacking that deliciousness will be Audrey Dunham. Now, you may know her from her previous interviews and, of course, her line of vegan cookies from Peanuts Bake Shop. But Audrey is much more than just a one-trick pony. To put it in football parlance, she's an Iron Man, or in this case, an Iron Woman, who can play multiple positions. And she has a recipe for cauliflower buffalo wings that are going to blow your mind and couple of other tasty offerings too. So 
Lots to look forward to there on the delicious front. But before we get to the yum-yums, we have to get to the science. And for that, we will be turning to Dr. Jim Loomis. And just a heads up before we get rolling, the audio quality on this conversation, not the best. But I will tell you this, the science here is worthy of a Super Bowl ring. Welcome to a very special on-location edition of the Exam Room Podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion Chuck Carroll. I am so thrilled to be once again sitting next to the man, the myth, the legend from Game Changers, <laughs> and he is the director of the Barnard Medical Center, Dr. Jim Loomis. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Chuck. Always a pleasure. Nice ovation from the crowd here at Green Fair. What a wonderful restaurant this is out here in uh, Reston, Virginia, just about a stone's throw away from Dulles Airport. If you're ever in the Washington area, you're listening to this and you're not in the D.C. area, I highly recommend flying into Dulles and on your way into the city, stop in Reston, stop at Green Fair. Gwen and Pericles and the crew here will get you set up with some of the most delicious whole food plant-based meals that you have ever eaten in your entire life. That is, it's amazing food. Salt-free, sugar-free, oil-free, and it will cure what ails you. Everything the body needs to be the ideal athlete, correct? That is correct. And that is what we're talking about today. The Game Changers film recently released on iTunes, now streaming worldwide on Netflix. This is super exciting because, as I understand it, Dr. Loomis, this film is just burning up the charts. Yeah, it's uh, it, 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 Chuck. It's really pretty remarkable. Um, I'm on a number of uh, like marathon Facebook groups, for example, um, and and you're seeing people pop questions popping up about game changers in these kind of uh, forums that where that's not a familiar concept. And um, I mean, every day it's just uh, it's it's really been an astounding journey and. Um, I'm so proud to be part of the program and, and, and the film and be involved. And, you know, James and J- Joseph Pace and James Wilkes and Louis Ahoyas. I mean, what an amazing job they did. It really is a phenomenal film, and, and I really do hope dearly that this thing gets up and nominated for a number of awards. This, I can guarantee you, will be the next big health documentary out there. I think that this is the next what the health, and it's going to open a lot of eyes. Matter of fact... My background, obviously, is in media, and I worked at uh, a sports talk station where just bro science ran rampant. And the other day, and this is, this is a true story, I had a friend of mine who still works there. He hit me up, and he was like, dude, I saw this film. I'm ready to take the plunge. What do I need to know? And I was like, man, there's a whole lot to it. But first of all, congratulations and welcome to the club. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, when you can crack the bro science shell at a sports talk station, you know you'll put together (laughs) something special. Yeah, that's great to hear. So here it is Sunday. And you have a background, obviously, as a physician, formerly in the NFL and Major League Baseball and a few other places, but let's focus on the athletics here. It's Sunday. There are NFL games being played across the country. My first question to you is, how are these guys going to be feeling in the morning? (laughs) Well, football is a uh, brutal sport. And uh, I think uh, Derek Morgan in the film says the injury rate in the NFL is 100%. And, uh, it, I mean, it's true. Uh, it, it is such a brutal sport. And it, if it, even if it's not, you know, a more significant injury like, you know, tearing your ACL, um, these guys just get beat up every single Sunday. And, you know, the cumulative effect over the season is, you know, by, the, by week, you know, 10, week 11, I mean, you know, there's a line to get in the ice bath. And, I mean, it's, uh, it's pretty brutal. Yeah, I've covered professional football for a number of years, and I've told you previously on this show, having the opportunity to interview a player who was plant-based, he was here in Washington for a while, a gentleman by the name of DJ Swearinger, and this was late in the season, and you're talking about a line for an ice bath. This is like there's one week to go in the year, and these guys can barely shuffle their feet. And yet here's DJ just bounding down the stairs with all of this energy, skipping toward the table to do this interview and proudly demonstrates his amazing smoothie station that they had installed for him out there at the training facility. And he's like, dude, it's the plants. 
Yeah, and you know that's that's what you hear. I mean, every athlete. You know, again, when you take the, look at the Tennessee Titans, um, you know, at first when Derek went plant based, uh, you know, his teammates were making fun of him. Yep. And and you know, all of a sudden, halfway through the season, he's not in the training room all the time. He's able to hit the weights on you know on the off days and, and train harder. He's recovering faster. His performance on the field is 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 escalated. And and all of a sudden, these same guys that are you know making fun of him are coming up to him and say, "Hey, now what is it you're doing again?" And and um, it's it's very interesting. At the L.A. Red Carpet premiere of Game Changers, I had the opportunity to talk to Chris Paul, who's a um, NBA All Star, famous, and, yeah, yeah, now at um, at with Oklahoma, I believe. And he's, I think, 35, and um, he's had some injury issues in the past. And he, t- he fairly recently had gone plant-based, and he told me probably the most amazing statement I've heard from an athlete. He said that he didn't want to tell his teammates or the other players in the league he had gone plant-based, not because he was concerned they'd make fun of him, which is what it would have been a few years ago. It was because he felt like he got such a competitive advantage, he didn't want to give away the secret. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, and, and you think about that. Wow. Right. Yeah. I mean, wow. And it's just it was just it's just food. Right. At, right. At 35. I mean, that's that's old for professional athlete standards. You think of Chris Paul, but then you think in the NFL, you look at Tom Brady up in New right. England. Yeah. 42. Yeah. Right. 42. The guy is still winning Super Bowls. It's amazing. Right. It's amazing. I uh, just had an opportunity to be at a game cover that one a, a few weeks ago when he was here in town and he comes walking into the media room afterward and he does not look 42 years old. This guy looks like he's 32, maybe oh, right. even 31. It's unbelievable. Right. Let's let's get it a little bit nerdy, shall we? Let's sure. dive into the science of why Tom Brady looks young, why Chris Paul wanted that competitive advantage, why you were able to do an Ironman triathlon, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. There's a there's a lot that goes into this, but I think first of all we need to understand what happens to the body when you're eating that standard American diet. A word that gets tossed around an awful lot is inflammation. Right. Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, so you know, I think that there's there's really two two advantages. Um, to, to a plant-based diet, as far as athletic performance goes, so one is um, it really does create, it, it really does present the optimum fuel um, for an athlete. Uh, you know, there's a misperception we, you know, protein is what makes us, you know, drives our athletic performance, but in fact, it's carbohydrate in the form of glycogen. That's what we use to fuel our exercise. Uh, exercise up to a couple of hours, um, maybe maybe two and a half hours, more intense exercise. That's all carbohydrate. And um, inherently, a, a whole food plant-based diet is about 75% uh, unprocessed carbs. And, you know, carbs have gotten a bad rap these days. Um, yeah, haven't they, though? You know, and, and, and I think that's just a symptom of the fact we've stopped talking about food. Uh, we talk about what food's made out of. You know, 30 years ago, we were worshiping carbs, kind of the era of Snackwell's cookies, right? I, mean, <laughs> I remember that. You know, it was like free food, right? Uh, you could eat a whole package because, hey, it's, it's, it's fat-free, Right. And if you look at the obesity epidemic we see in this country, it, it starts to, you know, that's about when it starts to creep up. And carbs aren't the problem. It's the package the carbs come in, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you take the difference between an apple, say, and an, a- an apple juice, right? Right. Um, our bodies have to do work to digest the apple, extract the energy, and all is good. So, um, and when we, when we under-consume carbs as an athlete, um, you can become chronically glycogen depleted, and that can lead to fatigue. And, and you know, if you're a runner, you, you know, we, you, you've heard of uh, marathoners hitting the wall. That, that's because you actually run out of glycogen. Mm. Um, that's what triggers that. So, um, so the, the macronutrient ratios in a plant-based diet are exactly what you need to perform. And in fact, we, we can talk a little bit more about, you know, if you look at it through the, the lens of our kind of evolutionary biology, um, which we can talk about in a minute, um, it does really replicate what's felt to be the ancestral diets. But the other huge benefit, and across the board, and my own personal experience as well, it, it, it's the ability to enhance recovery. And, and that primarily has to do with the fact that the diet is so highly anti-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. And we get inflammation from two sources. So one is um, the ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 fatty acids in our body. The omega-6s create inflammation. Omega-3s are anti-inflammatory. Um, it's felt the optimum ratio is probably 3 to 1, omega-6 to omega-3. Standard American diet, it can be 50 to 1. Wow. So, you know, we've got this low-burning fire in our bodies all the time, exercise is an inflammatory event. So now 
you go play a football game, you go run a marathon, you're just throwing gas on the fire, right? Right. So no wonder the people can't walk the next day. No kidding. And when we, uh, on the other hand, when we eat a whole food plant-based diet where, the, where that omega-3, omega-6 ratio is back down into that, you know, uh, what's felt to be the optimum range, well, now we've got water to put on the fire mm. uh, when we exercise. And then the other part of it is oxidative stress. We burn oxygen for fuel. That creates oxygen-free radicals. In small doses, they play an important role in cell signaling. You know, when we start to exercise, for example, we, we, we uh, burn more oxygen. So oxidative stress goes up. That sends a signal to our muscles. Hey, I'm getting ready to damage you, so fix me when I'm done. But in excess uh, amounts, it, it actually is felt to be the cause of the delayed onset muscle soreness, the stiffness that you see after a hard athletic event. And, 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 and if that's sustained, it can actually increase your risk for um, uh, coronary artery disease. Uh, the, oxid, the, the lipid particles can become oxidized, which makes them more reactive with the blood vessel wall. Um, it, they, it's been shown to damage DNA and can lead to cataracts and diabetes and cancer and on and on and on. And again, the only place we can get, we can mitigate, we, we can get antioxidants to help mitigate the extra oxidative stress is, is through our diet. And, and they only occur in plants. So we're talking about a couple of things stood out to me there. Uh, you said uh, diabetes was one that stood out to me and coronary heart disease. And here's where I'm going with this, because now I'm thinking about, well, what is it that these players are eating before kickoff? What is the pregame meal? I mean, you were a team physician for a while. What, what fuel are they putting in their bodies before the game right now? So, you know, you go to the pregame, to the pregame meal in football. You know, it's typically about 8 o'clock in the morning, somewhere in there for a noon game. And there would be a spread um, that would have uh, steak and chicken breasts and pasta, right? Because you got to get some carbs. For sure. You had to get your protein, right? Um, but even day to day, you know, you go to the training room. There's there's big blenders all around the, the the weight room with whey protein and such as that. Um, and and because there's this mythology again around around protein and strength and meat and on and on. And it, it as was shown in the movie Game Changers, um, when we eat those high fat meals, it you know, the, the scene with the blood that was clouded. Yeah. Um, that fat impairs our performance because you, you could imagine that blood flow is much more sluggish when it's full of that fat, um, and it impairs our ability to recover, you know, on and on and on. So, and, and you know, really, the amazing thing is there, there's no one diet to prevent breast cancer. And there's not another diet to prevent diabetes and another diet to perform optimally and another diet because you're compassionate about animals and another diet because you care about the environment. That's really the beauty of a whole food plant-based diet because, in fact, it, if you follow a whole food plant-based diet, it, it has been shown to reverse, prevent and reverse heart disease and, and prevent diabetes and, and may reduce or risk or prevent certain cancers and it's good for the environment and it's good for the animals and, by the way, it's good for athletic performance. So that's really the beauty of the whole thing, really. It's a, the simplicity of it. It's not easy to, uh, for people that are transitioning necessarily, but it's certainly easy. It's, it's, a simple, it's such a simple concept. Definitely a cover all. I think that that's the term that, that yeah. I would use. That's a football term, by the yes. way, defense. Um, so question for you. So that's what players are eating now, by and large. And and those, those pregame meals, I'm sure, are very similar today to what they were when you were still with the Rams. Uh, that's very different from what our ancestors used to eat back in the day. Our ancestral diet was quite different, wasn't it? Yeah, so that's interesting. When, when I tr- tried to understand this, when I, I transitioned to a plant-based diet in 2011, and I had really profound personal health uh, uh, improvements, I lost about uh, about 70 pounds total, but a lot of that was toward the end uh, with the Ironman training this, this, last, uh, uh, this last year. I lost about 10 or 15 of that. But, you know, I dropped my cholesterol 100 points. I uh, uh, reversed. I had, I had sleep apnea and atrial fibrillation and, and uh, exercise-induced asthma, all of which went away. And you were a doctor. I was a doctor. Yeah, okay. Uh, and um, so as I tried to try to really understand why just that simple change in my lifestyle had such a profound effect, I, I did a ton of reading. And, you know, and, and what struck me is, is that, you know, we are um, – we're all designed to be athletes, 
You know, if you think about what it, you know, what we had to do to survive, you know, like any living creature, all of our behavior, our nutritional needs, our, our metabolism evolved to help us accomplish the singular task of trying to hang around long enough and find a mate and pass on our DNA. And historically, to do that, we had to be able to do two things. We had to be able to go find food when we're starving and not be someone else's food when they're starving. And that's where our stress came from, right? <laughs> and we had to react to that stress through physical activity. So we evolved a stress response. Adrenaline gets us ready to exercise, and cortisol helps us recover. And, and assuming we survive, that's when we'd rest, recover, and refuel. And we'd refuel with what we could find around us on a given day. And this concept that our ancestors were hunter-gatherers is wrong. Um, in temperate climates, there's clear evidence that our ancestors were not hunter-gatherers. We were gatherer-hunters. But what did we gather? We gathered primarily whole food, unprocessed, plant-based sources of energy, right? Hmm. Roots and stems and leaves and seeds and fruits and nuts and vegetables and berries and legumes. I mean, there was no white flower tree or canola oil bush or Dr. Pepper nut, right? <laughs> um, we're not designed to use dairy products except our mother's milk. Right. You know, dairy is a biologic fluid that takes baby mammals and turns them into big mammals. And once the mammal's big enough to find food on its own, we don't need our mother's milk anymore. Um, we, now, we did eat meat historically. It just wasn't very much. But the meat we ate came from wild animals, not animal stuff full of corn and antibiotics and hormones, which really profoundly changes the nutritional value of, of, of the food. You know, a, a, a corn-finished cow, the omega-3 content of the meat goes down to zero within a week. Mm. And it's all omega-6, highly inflammatory. Now, I think you could are I'm not advocating for grass-fed beef because I think that our ancestors probably did have a survival advantage to having that concentrated animal fat and protein to get big and strong and get away from the leopard before they died of infectious disease when they were 30. Right. So they never had to worry about, if I eat too much red meat, am I going to get cancer or diabetes? Because they're already dead. And so through sanitation and antibiotics, we've tripled our lifespan. And so we have unmasked all these chronic problems, all of which are associated with the overconsumption of animal fat, animal protein, you know, et cetera. And then, you, you know, you take one step further back and think about the environmental consequences of how we raise animals and how we treat animals. I think you can make a very, very strong argument, if you're not starved for calories, that a whole food plant-based diet is, is the optimal diet for human health, planetary health, et cetera. And so if you look at the components of, a, you know, kind of what an ancestral diet looked like, very high in fiber. Average American today gets 15, 20 grams of fiber a day, Okay. Uh, we're probably designed to get north of 75, the 75 to 100 grams of fiber. Fiber's been shown to, to it's like a miracle drug. It reverses, it prevents diabetes and lowers blood pressure and cholesterol and prevents cancer and you know, controls weight and on and on and on. It was very low in fat and especially saturated fat um, because the, the wild animals we ate were wild animals. Um, it was very high in antioxidants. Right. It was very, very much anti-inflammatory because it had a very low omega-6, omega-3 ratio. It was very low in salt and very high in potassium. And so that's why it's a both that, that ratio of a potassium to sodium has been shown to lower blood pressure. So, you know, and again, if you, and if you, think, about what, if you think about that diet, that's exactly the optimum diet for athletic performance. It's the same thing. So, and again, it's this idea, we are all designed to be athletes, right? You, you carry the groceries in from the car, you're being an athlete. You carry the laundry up from the basement, you're being an athlete. You, you give your kid a piggyback ride, you're being an athlete. Now, some people are more athletic than others. Oh, dude, I do a lot of chores, man. I got gold medals. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but to meet your needs, it's just calories that you have to worry about. It's not, that's, that's the, now, there might be some very nuanced, if you're a bodybuilder cutting for a, a, a uh, a, a, a show or you know you're running an Ironman you want a carb load or something like that there's some very nuanced uh, dietary changes you can, manipulations you can make but but for 99% of the people people there's no such thing as a, it's sports nutrition it's just a healthy whole food plant-based diet and, and it's just the number of calories you consume is all we need to focus on well uh, let's go back to the, the kind of the ancestral diet and then look at where we are today because that is a dramatic shift. Uh, how did we get from there to where we are today? Right. There's been profound changes in the Western diet in the last 50, 75 years. Um, sugar consumption, right? Um, on average, we've seen a decline in table sugar consumption, sucrose, but that's been more than offset by a huge increase in high fructose corn syrup, which entered the food supply in the mid-80s. On average today, per capita, we eat 100 pounds of sugar per person. Ooh. 
Ooh. So what that means is on January 1st, you get a family of four, you bring in four 100-pound bags of sugar, and, and each week you scoop out two pounds for everyone in the house. And, you, and people will say, well, well, I don't do that in my house, but we do do it. Because we have, maybe not the people here in this audience, but, but in general we do because we've hidden this sugar in everything, right? Under it's, many it's different names. It's in cereal. It's in, it's in tomato. It's in ketchup. It's in bread. It's in sports drinks. I mean, on and on and on and on and on. Um, you know, milk consumption. Again, we're not designed to use dairy. Um, we have seen a decline in whole milk consumption, but uh, especially full-fat full milk. But when we take the fat out of the milk, what do we do? We make cheese out of it. Uh, that cheese consumption skyrocketed uh, about 45 pounds per capita per pounds per person per year that's a lot uh, of cheese it is a lot of cheese and the problem is because of the way we make cheese today um, you know that exposes us to hormones and antibiotics and antibiotic resistant bacteria and, and all kinds of nasty things um, we eat about 150 pounds of meat a year um, and again but the meat we eat today it bears no resemblance to to, to the to the um, uh, meat that we were, we were designed to eat evolutionarily. And, and what's interesting is there was a study that came out in, uh, I think, Cell Metabolism uh, a couple years ago that showed that uh, people who overconsume animal protein, most people overconsume protein in general, right. in particular animal protein, they have a four times greater risk of dying from cancer, right? A smoker has a two times greater risk. So it's actually more detrimental to your health to overconsume animal protein than it is to smoke cigarettes. Holy cow. Um, and and um, there's a lot of theories as to why. It probably has to do with overstimulation of insulin growth like factor one, especially found in high concentrations in dairy, you know, on and on. Um, and, and then lastly, um, we've seen a huge increase in edible oils. Um, you know, and it, there has been a fairly significant decrease in uh, animal um, oils like lard. I remember growing up, I grew up in the South, and we had a coffee can on the stove where you would put all the bacon grease. Yes, sir. And you would use that to fry the eggs and put in the greens and you know, everything, was, everything, right? You get a you scoop know, of it with big, your cereal. No, that's right. And there was a big, you know, big tub of lard that my grandmother would make biscuits with, and on and on. So th- that that consumption that's gone down, but it's been more than offset by increased consumption of vegetable oils. And, and that's why I think it's important uh, and why I, with patients, make a clear distinction between a plant-based diet and a vegan diet. Um, veganism comes historically from an ethical place. Right. And that's a good thing. You know, it's about not using animal products, tested on animals, not wearing products made from animals. However, there's a lot of really unhealthy stuff that's, that's vegan that's, you know, like, that's, that's, uh, like oils, for yeah. example. Yeah, yeah. Um, and one reason, so we talked earlier about the omega-6, omega-3 ratios. Corn oil has an 83 to 1 omega-6 to omega-3 ratio. Right? Mm. That's probably one of the most highly inflammatory oils that are out there. But what do we feed cows? They mix, they mix corn oil in with the feed, the fat, and the cows. And so that's where the inflammation comes from in, in industrially raised animals today. I mean, even olive oil is, um, I think, uh, 16 to 3 or 13 to 3 something like that higher than that 5 to 1 right, ratio right. that we we need we're looking for or 3 to 1 so um, and, and again I think the other issue besides the changes in diet I alluded to earlier is this idea you know we, we, we've stopped talking about food we don't know what food is anymore we don't know where our food comes from we don't know the dirt we grow the food in we don't know what we put in the dirt we don't know how we process it after we harvest it we don't know why we crave it and we don't know what it does to our bodies after right i mean we've learned as a society that mcdonald's tastes good mcdonald's is cheap mcdonald's is convenient i got to get the kids to soccer practice so i'm just going to go through mcdonald's without ever stopping to think that i even that, that, did i feed myself or my kids food or not and Michael Paul and the food writer would argue, no, those are edible food-like substances. Because if you really thought about it, when you went through the drive-thru at McDonald's, what you would be ordering would be is colon cancer with large fries and a double bypass with cheese and diabetes with a large soda. I mean, seriously. But that's not how we think about food. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, then we talked a little bit about the nutrition reductionism early. You know, that we, we've, we've, now we talk about what food's made out of. We talk about carbs and protein and fat. And carbs are not the problem. And protein is, you know, not something magic. It's right. not a magic pill. It's part of when we, and when we shift the dialogue back to food, right, then we don't have to worry about it. 
Protein. Mentioned that a number of times just now. And I think that particularly with athletes, which we're talking about today, it's, well, are you getting enough protein? Is it even possible to get enough protein on a plant-based diet? And I think that everybody here who, when they first went plant-based, they had somebody ask them the question, you know it, say it with me, where do you get your protein? Right. Right? So we know where we get the protein from. This is a plant-based audience. But how much protein do we actually need? You said that the average person now is getting four times what, what's recommended? That's about right. Um, so, um, well, first of all, when, I, when, when people ask me that question, I just ask them, well, did you turn on, you know, when you went, last time you turned on National Geographic and saw a special on mountain gorillas or elephants was the first thing you worried about was where they were getting their protein, right? <laughs> and probably not, right? So I get my protein the same place they do. Um, so... Um, Unlike, you know, when we, when we consume excess carbohydrate, uh, we can store that. We store that as glycogen in our, um, uh, in our muscle and liver. Again, that's for fuel. Um, anything that's left over, it gets sent back to the liver to be converted to triglyceride, where it can be stored as fat. Uh, the fat, we, can, we convert to triglyceride, store it as fat. But protein, we can't store extra protein. Mm-hmm. So any ex- once we've kind of repaired our tissue and kind of day-to-day maintenance, we, uh, uh, we, we convert the protein to nitrogen, and it's excreted in our urine. And so we can measure that. And so the point where you've used all, up, all of your protein up and you start to see nitrogen in the urine is, is where we reach what's called nitrogen balance. Okay? And so there's a lot of studies. The, the RDA, uh, recommended daily, daily allowance for protein for the average person, is about 0.8, 0.9 grams per kilogram. Okay. Um, athletes do need more protein. Um, an endurance athlete, the range is about 1 to about 1.5. A strength athlete's about 1.6, 1.5, 1.6, maybe up to 2. Okay? So, as I said earlier, the, the, the natural macronutrient ratios of a plant-based diet are 75% unprocessed carbs, 15% protein, 10% fat. So there's 4 calories per gram of mm-hmm. protein mm-hmm. and four calories per gram of carb and nine per fat. Um, but if you so if you do the math backwards, so say you you know your average kind of activity level and you're eating maybe eighteen hundred two thousand calories a day, and you weigh kind of average size seventy five eighty kilos. Um, if you do that math backwards, okay, fifteen percent protein in a two thousand calorie diet for someone who weighs eighty you know kilos is 0.9 grams per kilogram. Okay. okay. Right where you need to be, right? So I just finished an Ironman a few months ago, a couple months ago. And I can guarantee you I wasn't eating 4,000 calories a day. I mean 2,000 calories a day. Right. I was probably eating 4,000 calories a day because I was working out three hours a day on the weekdays and you know five, six, seven hours on the weekends. So what happens when I move my caloric intake from 2,000 to 4,000? Well, my protein intake is doubled. So now... It's 1.6. Well, what does an endurance athlete need? 1.6 grams per kilogram. So it's calories are the key. It's, it, you know, it's not protein. It's not carbs. It's calories. And that's, again, that's the beauty. If you eat a whole food plant-based diet, you are going to get the optimum ratio of calories. And if you eat enough calories to match your, your caloric output, then you'll be fine. And you know, I have a slide I give in my talks that you know, I, I stopped just to be sure, I stopped by the protein deficiency ward at the hospital on the way here, and it was empty, right? <laughs> um, so, uh, but I think that, that we obsess about protein. It's, it's, you know, you can get water now that's infused with protein, believe it or not. You can get really? protein water, yeah. Wow. I mean, it's really insane. That, uh, okay, so in all honesty, you are not the first physician to tell me that protein deficiency is, is nearly non-existent. In your entire time practicing, have you ever come across a patient who was protein deficient? Uh, no. Well, I mean, so I've seen a couple patients that were elderly and dying of cancer and, you know, completely malnourished, but no one's ever walked in the office, a healthy, you know, someone never, no one has ever walked in the office and being diagnosed with protein deficiency. These are people that are terminally ill and, you know, malnourished. No one has ever come in <laughs> and been protein deficient. Right. Yes. Let, me, let me throw you a curveball then because I think then if, if you talk to sports nutritionists who haven't actually gone to school to be a nutritionist and get all of their information from a magazine, they will tell you that you need to eat meat in order to get complete proteins. Not the case. 
completely not the case. So, so proteins are made up of amino acids, okay? And, um, um, and, and some amino acids our bodies can make, and I think there's 12 or 13 we can't make. Those are called essential amino acids. Okay. So we have to get those from our food. And um, some proteins are made up of, you know, people talk about complete proteins. So these are proteins that have all these essential amino acids um, and such. But it turns out that, you know, we don't absorb protein in our bodies, right? We absorb amino acids. So we eat the protein. The protein is actually broken down into the component amino acids. That's what we absorb. And then we reassemble them Mm -hmm. in our bodies to Mm -hmm. make the proteins that we need. And, And it also turns out that every, any food, Almost every food has com- has the complete complement of amino acids. Wow. Um, it is impossible to become deficient in an individual amino acid if you're eating a well-balanced, whole food, plant-based diet. It's just not physiologically possible. We talked a little bit about antioxidants earlier today, but I know that, that when you go out and you give talks on the road, that's another thing that you kind of focus on. So, w- again, just to kind of rehash there, what role do they play as far as athlete recovery? Sure. So, um, as I said earlier, the um, oxidative stress is felt to damage the, the, the cell walls, actually, of the muscles and ligaments, and that's what causes the stiffness and, and tenderness uh, afterwards, the, um, um, uh, especially the muscle soreness, mm-hmm. right? Um, and we can mitigate that. We have an inherent ability to mitigate some oxidative stress, but not very much, right? So the rest of it has to come from dietary antioxidants. And so, in general, the more color a food has, the more highly antioxidant it is. And, but what's interesting is that, so we don't think of color, oftentimes when I ask people, what's, you know, what, what, do you, what would you think about? Well, blueberries and raspberries and strawberries, and all true. But probably the most, some of the most potent dietary antioxidants are actually legumes. Really uh, now? Like red kidney beans and pinto beans and black beans. The, 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 the pigments that make those dark are, are some of the most powerful antioxidants out there, actually. Wow. Also, um, spices, um, things like turmeric, ginger, um, oregano, um, uh, cinnamon, all highly antioxidant. And then there's a few other specific foods. Tart cherry juice has a lot of, you know, it's dark red. It has some um, uh, very highly antioxidants. Actually, there's some clinical research to show that it um, uh, may help specifically um, prevent delayed onset muscle soreness. Um, You know, we know beets, highly antioxidant, but beets have another function. They they increase blood flow. Mm. Um, It's kind of nature's Viagra. (laughs) They... uh, it, 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 it activates nitric oxide that actually dilates blood vessels. Wow. And in endurance athletes, there's some research that suggests you can get about a 10% increase in endurance performance. And, uh, you know, for some track athletes where, you know, literally it comes down to a thousandth of a second um, you know, that little bit of advantage uh, can be huge. Yeah, that's that edge that Chris Paul was talking that's about, exactly right? right. Yeah. And I, you know, I was using, I was beat loading uh, for my long, I went on a, I ran 15 miles yesterday. I'm training for the Philadelphia Marathon right now. And, you know, I do a, a beet shot the night before. I just take some roasted beets and put them in a blender with a little bit of uh, lim, uh, lime juice. Mm. And uh, I took one in the morning and I drink some the next morning, uh, and the night before and some the next morning. And um, so, um, and again, the, the, it's just food, right? That's yeah, all. It's just food. So, Beat shots with a wheatgrass chaser. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That'll keep you out of the bar. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool, man. Um, let's, let's go back. We, we talked about ancestors a while ago and just how different our diet was thousands and thousands of years ago. But you said, really, it's only been in the last 50, 60, 70 years that really things have taken a, a dramatic change but before then before that started this whole concept of vegetarian diets being beneficial for athletes that was pretty well known and just somehow over time it's it's been forgotten right well yeah, that is true um there's been a long history of vegetarian athletes dating back to ancient greece um you know the, in the movie they talk about the roman gladiators mm-hmm. being vegetarian but if you really think about uh, foodways around the world, right? Like my, my mother's uh, family came from Greece. Um, meat was a condiment. It was a flavoring, right? They were almost all plant-based, plant, at least plant, 
focused, plant strong. You might, you know, they might kill a lamb around, you know, Easter mm-hmm. and in, the, in, in Greece, but but most of the food was plant based. Right. right. You might put a ch- my grandmother. You might put a chicken bone in the soup to give it a little flavor, but but it, again, it wasn't until really post war in the United States where uh, meat has really become. We've we've developed this meat centric diet. Um, I had the opportunity last summer to do a three-week med school speaking tour in India. Um, India has a huge, skyrocketing uh, epidemic of obesity and type 2 diabetes. Tragically, they have, you know, they're suffering both ends of the malnutrition scale mm. in many parts of India, from undernourishment and overnourishment. And um, you, know, you, go to, you go to India and you look at a traditional Indian diet, very healthy, plant strong, you know, and... But nowadays, there's a McDonald's and a and a and a Pizza Hut on on every, KFC on every corner, and and when we looked at the changes in Indian foodways, it wasn't sugar, right? It was meat, a hundred percent increase in meat consumption and an eighty percent increase in edible oils, primarily palm oil, over the last fifteen twenty years, which corresponds with this epidemic. So it's the fat in the diet which is, is driving that, and it's mainly coming from, from, from meat. So, so, again, historic, and I, you know, I led that talk, those talks off at the med school saying, you know, I could give this talk in, in one, two sentences. Yeah. We, need to, we need to start eating like you did historically, and you all need to stop eating like us. And, <laughs> but, but it's true. Um, and so, you know, again, I, I think as we've moved to this meat-centric diet, um, I think that's really what's driving the epidemic of many of these chronic diseases because of the inflammation that's associated with it. Did you see some light bulbs go off in the room when you were giving these talks? I did because they're you know they have an allopathic westernized medical system like just like the one I was trained in, mm-hmm. you know, British based. We didn't learn anything about nutrition. Again, what I learned about in nutrition class, I had like maybe two lectures on nutrition. It was glorified biochemistry in med school. Right. And so I learned what, about protein deficiency. I learned about Kashikor's disease, and I learned about you know, scurvy, which is another disease I've never seen, vitamin <laughs> C deficiency. So it was really the bio, you know, I learned what proteins were and carbs were. It wasn't about food, right? Right. It really wasn't about nutrition. It was more kind of pathophysiology of nutrient deficiency that, that were isolated from food. Here's the cool thing. I think that it's it's not just abroad that people you will you will start to see the light bulbs go off with, and it's not just the people in this room. Going back to athletes, they're all searching for that edge. And if you can sit down with any professional athlete, the majority of them, and have an intelligent conversation like you and I are having right now, they will be very very receptive to this. And I think that that's why you're starting to see an increasing number of athletes turn to the plant-based diet. I want to ask you a, a couple of questions about a conversation, one, that I had with a player who was – he went on a plant-based diet a few years ago specifically because he was worried about longevity in his career, but also diabetes ran rampant in his family. He's an offensive lineman in the NFL. But after a few months, he goes to training camp, and I, I go up to him in his locker. I'm like, hey, man, how's, how's the plant-based diet going? He's like – I had to stop that. I just couldn't keep the weight on. I'm not getting enough calories. How You said that when you were training, you were getting 4,000 calories a day. So what is the optimal way for an athlete to healthfully make sure that they're getting the caloric needs that they need? Yeah, you have to eat a lot. Yeah, well, <laughs> For an offensive lineman, yeah, you wouldn't yeah. think that that's so difficult, right? But No, I mean, um, so in those situations, um, you know, what I was doing was um, I, I did a fair number of uh, smoothies, mm-hmm. um, as, and, and I, um, where I would use, um, um, you know, almond milk and fruits and vegetables, so I could really cram a ton of calories into a healthful drink. Right. Um, you know, snacked all the time, lots of fruit. Um, and th- this is a situation where increasing a little bit some of the more calorie dense foods like nuts and things like they have to be a little bit careful but um there's ways to do it um but you have you do it is a little worried and i think one of the misconceptions is oh plant-based diet you're just eating salad all the time right and that's a it's a huge misconception and but that's not you you saw the food here tonight right yeah oh yeah a bowl of i can smell that it's curry i presume it smells really good and i can't wait to get a bowl in a minute what are there leftovers yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um 
so I think there's a lot of misconceptions about plant-based diets. Yeah. And, 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 and honestly, uh, you know, after I went plant-based, my food horizons just exploded. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I love to cook. And the flavors I am able to explore now, the foods, uh, the way I can marry things together, it's really astounding. So I, I think that that's part of the problem, too, is that, you know, we, we think of plant-based diets, oh, you're just eating salad all the time, which is, is far from, I mean, I'll have a salad every now and then, but that's not what fuels my exercise. Oh, I know. I've seen your Instagram, man. <laughs> this guy can cook. I don't know if you follow him. I think you're J.F. Loomis on Instagram. Yeah. It, it is incredible what you're able to do in the kitchen. You are yeah, you are you. a whiz, my friend. Um, let's talk about Cam Newton, very famous Pro Bowl quarterback for the Carolina Panthers. Has had a number of injuries in recent seasons. Subsequently, we've seen his performance go down. Not as many touchdowns, a few more interceptions, blah, blah, blah. Out comes an opinion piece in the Charlotte Observer. Not even an opinion piece, because they went and they interviewed a number of sports nutritionists. And the headline essentially said that Cam Newton's deteriorating performance may be attributed to his plant-based diet. I want to read you a quote that one sports nutritionist gave. And he reads, Go back to 2015 Cam. Badass Cam. He was a pescatarian, salmon, shrimp. You get a lot of good fats and complete protein. In fact, fish is one of the best sources that there is. Now, you take away the most valuable part of that diet, and there's just no way around it. He can't recover as well with less nutrients, with less calories, and with less muscle mass. It's just not going to happen. And he goes on to speculate that the problem really is, A, he's not getting enough calories, but B, he could be deficient in B6 and B12. Well, I mean, there's a lot of things wrong with that statement. Dissect (laughs) Um, it. Yeah, so, um, you know, the the thing is, if you think about uh, chicken or fish or beef, right, those those animals are really the middle, have become the middleman of for our nutrition, right? Mm-hmm. Because, yes, there are omega, healthy omega-3s in salmon, right? And there's protein, which we need, right? But where did the omega-3s come from, right? They Up the food chain, they came from plants, from marine phytoplankton and algae, right? Yes, sir. And, and when, um, when we have a choice, when we, I, I, when we think about nutrient density, okay? I, I like to think of it through the lens of... Uh, like we think about money, right? Okay. So we have extra money. We want to invest it in our financial future, and we're looking for a positive ROI. So you're an athlete, and you have a calorie to invest. You want to invest it in your future performance ROI, right? And you could invest 100 calories in broccoli or 100 calories in salmon, right? So what do you get back for that 100 calories from salmon? How much fiber? How many cancer-fighting phytonutrients, antioxidants to help mitigate some of that muscle soreness i mean there's none right right? all you're getting is protein and some healthy fats broccoli has omega-3s and and it's also got compounds that have been shown to help prevent cancer and on and on and on so you're going to get a much higher performance roi by investing your calories in foods that are nutrient dense as opposed to calorically dense and this idea you know you get back you know the thing about milk and and we're going to get your calcium if you don't drink milk. But where did the calcium in the milk come from? Well, it came from the grass. It actually came from the dirt that the grass grew in. Yep. And the cow has just served as the middleman, right? Yep. And, 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 and they've, all the fiber and all the other good stuff that was in the grass is gone, right? The cow's already used it. So, and again, I think it just gets back to this, you know, I don't want to say, I don't think it's purposeful ignorance. I think it's just that's the paradigm we've, operated in the sports world uh, for a long time, the pervasiveness of the bro science, um, you know, the, what even the RDs, the registered dietitians are taught. They're, they're very much schooled in this nutritional reductionism, um, uh, which, which is in the same way I was taught to think. And so I think once you become enlightened, and, you know, when patients were, I mean, all you got to do is just have them keep a food diary for a day or two and then you can see. Mm-hmm. And, and I've never seen a patient who was worried about protein, whether athlete or not, who kept an honest food diet for 24 hours, come in and say, see, I told you I'm not getting <laughs> enough protein because it just doesn't happen. 
you know, and uh, as we wrap up here, my, my final point that I want to make before I give you the closing thought here is that you mentioned Derek Morgan played for the Tennessee Titans. That team featured in the Game Changers documentary. So that season that he goes plant-based and he sees his stats, his performance on the field just really shoot through the roof. And then he sees a number of his teammates follow suit. Well, the Titans hadn't made the playoffs and since what the Music City Miracle, maybe two decades earlier, something. Well, so the last time they went to the Super Bowl was when we beat them in two thousand ninety nine two thousand, which is where why I have a Super Bowl ring. This guy, <laughs> this guy, when we beat him, uh, <laughs> we, my team that I was peripherally involved in keeping healthy. How about that? Third string quarterback and yeah, and, and team doctor. Uh, <laughs> But anyway, the Titans, they go on, and they make the playoffs right. that year. Coincidence, sir? I think not. Yeah. No, I, I mean, again, I think that um, it just goes to show you the power of plants. That's all. We've had ourselves a good 45-minute conversation here. Is there anything else that you think that we should touch on before we take this one home? No, I don't think so. I, you know, I, I, if you haven't seen Game Changers, watch it. It's it's really a phenomenal film. And you know, we we've gotten we got some pushback. There was an editorial or a piece written in Men's Health that kind of you know, made some comments, and I actually wrote a scientific rebuttal to that, which got published in, in Medium. Um, and but but you know, the movie really only says three things. Really, it, it says that you don't have to eat meat and animal products to get big and be strong and run fast and run far. And if you don't eat meat, you will be healthier and your loved ones will be healthier and the world will be a better place yeah. environmentally. I mean, that's, that was the message that we, that the producers um, and the director really wanted to convey. And I think they did a really a brilliant job in, in, in conveying that. Um, and so, you know, again, is a piece of salmon right now going to kill you? Of course it's not. Is there something in salmon you need you can't get from plants? No. Are you exposing yourself to environmental toxins like mercury? Yes. If you're eating farm salmon, it's way beyond. It's like a toxic brew. Um, is eating salmon good for the environment? Definitely not. And so I think that, you know, I think the take-home message is, is that, you know, a plant-forward, a plant-strong diet, again, it, it, there's no one diet to not get diabetes, and there's no one diet to perform optimally, no one diet to save the planet, and no one diet, if you're, if you're compassionate about other living creatures, it's all the same. And, and I, it's, it's just such a simple uh, concept that, that I wish I would have learned a long time ago, actually. And my, my final, final thought here is, can I tell them how old you are? Is this okay? Oh, sure, yeah. So this year, my friend here, Dr. Loomis, does his very first Ironman triathlon. And if you don't know what that is, it is basically the single most grueling event known to man. I don't know who thought this <laughs> up, but they are truly a glutton for punishment. You turned 60 this year. That's right. And you just nailed this thing. Yeah. So that was yeah, two weeks after my 60s. But I wanted to do something epic for my 60s birthday. And I, so that was pretty epic. But the other thing I wanted to show people was is that when we really, truly take care of ourselves, when we replicate that kind of lifestyle we're designed to lead, we, we, you know, we're physically active, we control our stress, we, we, we recover from our stress through sleep, we eat what we're supposed to eat, we don't eat what we're not supposed to eat, that we have the ability to decouple our chronologic age from our biologic age, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm always going to be, I'm going to be 61 next year, but I can guarantee you I'm much younger this year than I was last year. And so when people ask me how old I am, I tell them I'm 30 with 30 years' experience. There you right? go. <laughs> <laughs> but, but honestly, that's how I feel. I mean, it really and truly is how I feel. And, and um, there are not enough pills in the pharmacy to take me from where I was seven or eight years ago when I needed to be on cholesterol medicine. I couldn't walk around the block without being out of breath, and I had to use an inhaler if I wanted to go jog to where I am now. And, that, 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 and it's the power of the plant's. I'm convinced that probably drives 75 percent of that of that healthfulness, if you will. And and we we talked about the DJ Swearinger and late in the year and how all of his teammates were shuffling around. But the morning after the event for you, there are people in the lobby who are half your age, maybe even less. They're walking around like zombies, and you are. I climbed Whiteface Mountain. <laughs> the day <laughs> after. Classic, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Dr. Jim Loomis, you are just a wealth of information. Thank you thank so you. very much for taking the time. And thank you, everybody out here at Greenfair, Gwen Whitaker, Pericles, the entire staff. You guys are just tremendous. Give yourself a round of applause, please.
At the top of the show, we heard about Tyron Mathau of the Chiefs and his plant-based diet. Now, it turns out that Tyron is playing for the perfect team for said diet because Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City, his home stadium, home to the Chiefs, it has been ranked as being one of the most vegan-friendly stadiums in all the NFL. That ranking, of course, done by PETA. So what makes it so daggone vegan-friendly? Well, check this out. On the menu there, they have a grilled plant-based burger that's piled high with plant-based fixins on a vegan bun. Very important. Not all buns served at stadiums are vegan. This one just happens to be. Then there's also a vegan sausage that's made out of cauliflower and walnuts and wild rice. And they pair that with a cranapple slaw. That also gets rave reviews. And there are cauliflower wings topped with hot sauce being served at Arrowhead. Here's the interesting thing. I want to talk about a Super Bowl connection. Well, it turns out that the 49ers home stadium, Levi Stadium over in the San Francisco area, well, that too made PETA's list. Actually, it came in second. So what's on the menu out there? Well, options at Levi Stadium include burgers and sausage, but also a veggie burrito. And you want to get gourmet? How's this? garlic naan with chickpea curry and they also have vegan samosa with mango chutney from curry roots not bad at all not bad at all i say and uh in case you were wondering what stadium took home the top honors on the list well that would be mercedes-benz stadium in atlanta that's home to the falcons and get this down there in atl you can chow down on a garbanzo burger a quinoa roasted garlic burger, a vegan chicken, quote-unquote, sandwich, and salads galore. So many salads. A kale salad, a Greek pasta salad, or a chickpea salad. And all of them coming with vegan hand-mixed dressings. I mean, who needs a tailgate when you have that kind of stuff inside the stadium? That's awesome. I've been covering the NFL for years, spent many, many, many games in the press box, and I wish that they would serve us something like that. My goodness gracious, that would be incredible. In the stadium here, where I spend the majority of my games, FedEx Field, just outside of Washington, D.C., I will say that they do serve a vegan chili from a place called Ben's Chili Bowl, very famous here in Washington, D.C. Ben's recently started to serve vegan chili, and they've brought that to FedEx Field, which is a great first step. I would love to see more offerings there, but kudos for the chili. I know it's quite popular, and I know that there are a lot of people in the media who have tried it and liked it as well. But all of that, all of that food, that's at the actual stadium. So what happens if you're like the majority of people and you're throwing a party for the game at your house or even going to someone else's party? Well, no problem. Audrey Dunham to the rescue. She's here with a couple of ideas that you can whip up in a GIF that will score a touchdown for everyone's taste buds, including some yummy, yummy cauliflower wings. The Super Bowl is coming up this weekend, and we're talking about easy grab-and-go foods and Uh then the popcorn, and I think, well, popcorn is just a great, great snack to have at a Super Bowl party. Oh, yeah. What are you guys going to be whipping up there? Okay, one of my top recipes. I do have a YouTube channel where I demonstrate on how to... It's like my own little cooking show I've created (laughs) on YouTube. Um, I have a lot of fun making my videos, and I think my top viewed video of all time now is my roasted buffalo cauliflower, which is vegan and gluten-free. Yeah, yeah. So I use a... um, uh, oat flour in the recipe so that um, um, the gluten-free folks or those just trying to cut back can enjoy it as well. And it is addicting. So I'll beware. Bet. Beware. Bet. And I pair it with a vegan uh, ranch dressing dip if you want to make that. You don't need it. But if you want to, you can do that. It is spicy. The spice level does depend on the chili sauce that you use. So mm. like sriracha tends to be well, I guess it depends on who you are and how much you can tolerate as far as heat. But just yeah. know that if you are like something a little bit more on the mild or medium side, it depends on the chili sauce you use. Right on. So good though. Addicting. And I'm not I'm not the type that like seeks out hot spicy food, but I'm addicted to this recipe. Right on. So good. Um, other than that, 
I have an amazing 15-minute pumpkin chili recipe that I actually make Ooh, all year here round. Here we go. Pumpkin yeah. chili. All right. We're going to have to compare. I'm, okay. I make a pumpkin chili as Do well. Do you really? Yeah. We might have to have a chili cook-off next fall. You're on. All right. I'm, I'm down. I will, I will free some and I'll send some to you. <laughs> yeah, we'll meet somewhere in the Midwest. Like okay. We'll meet in the middle of the country. It'll work out well. Perfect. No. That's good. I mean, a lot of people have never heard of pumpkin chili, so that's that's. Really Which cool is a crying shame. It, it is my absolute favorite chili ever now. Yeah. Well, I mean, you think about it. So most people, they hear pumpkin chili and they think, what is it, like pumpkin pie mixed with chili? That sounds kind of gross. But really what it is, no, it's the exact opposite. It's delicious. And you use <laughs> some um, you use some canned pumpkin um, and then some a little bit of some spices. Well, I do anyway. I, I, I throw in some pumpkin pie spice, but along with everything else that comes into traditional chili. So you're having all the traditional chili flavors, but you have this extra level of flavor coming from that canned pumpkin and then a the little bit of like the cinnamon and the pumpkin mm-hmm. pie spice that goes mm-hmm. in there. And it just it's just this flavor, fun experience, and it's 15 minutes to make because all you're using is canned ingredients. So quick and easy, and I make it um, in giant pots so that I can store it in large mason jars or containers and have it on hand. Oh, yeah. Um, that's a big favorite. And then I love making our cornbread muffins that I make. Ooh. Yeah, those are vegan. And glu- I actually have a um, – of course, they're vegan, but I also have a gluten-free version. I have two. I have one for people who only have all-purpose flour on hand. You can do it with a combination of um, the cornmeal and the all-purpose or um, the other one. Actually, I think there's also some wheat flour in there. So I use just a tiny bit of all-purpose just to help um, a little bit with the, to soften up the texture. But um, it's like it's wheat flour, all-purpose, cornmeal. It's a very easy recipe, though. Right don't, on. Don't let me overcomplicate right it. On. And then the other one is um, <laughs> I think it uses uh, uh, some other gluten-free flour. But anyway, they're both good. You can't go wrong either way. Are you actually so, into the football at all? Like, are, <sighs> are, do you have a rooting interest in the game this year? Well, okay. So um, because I'm married to a, a Dallas native, I have to buy I – mean, I think it was in our, our prenup that I have to be a <laughs> Cowboys fan. <laughs> but since they're not participating in the, in the Super Bowl, um, I'm in it for the commercials and the halftime show. Okay. So, you know, it, it's it's like just this one day you need to change your way of thinking like, wait a minute, this isn't my time to get up and get a, a drink or a snack like you normally would during the commercials. It's really hard to kind of figure out when to get up and go do something during the, the Super Bowl. You really feel like you need to be glued to the TV the whole time. But at this point, I'm so into the commercials, I choose to go during the actual game. Ah. If I need to get up or if I'm going to go hang with the kids or do something fun with them. Entertain them for a second, get a snack. That's when I do it. But um, you're very funny. yeah. So there you go. But, but you're not alone. I mean, you see the yeah. spike in viewership for the Super Bowl. You know that you know those extra 150 million eyes that are watching that game aren't the same ones that were watching every single Sunday since September. Right? No way. Not a chance. You got a lot of commercial viewers. Yeah, it comes down to this. It, it's like a, a this unspoken national holiday, really. Yep. Um, and so, um, or in some places, it is spoken. There you go. Some ideas to make your party a healthier and tastier soiree. You can find a link to Audrey's recipes in the show notes for this episode. And for goodness gracious sakes, whatever you do, don't forget to let us know how it turns out. We want to know. If you make it, we want to hear about it. So about that game on Sunday, the 49ers and the Chiefs, I'm going to pick the 49ers to win. These guys have just been steamrolling opponents of late. And I'm a Kyle Shanahan fan. He is the 49ers head coach. So a, a quick side story here. So when I was still covering football here in Washington full-time, he was their offensive coordinator. And Shanahan, he's a good guy. He's a funny guy. And the day that he got fired, this is, this is a true story. The day that he got fired, he's walking out to his car and he's got a box full of stuff from his office. And he looks over at all the reporters and we're kind of just talking. And he's like, guys, just do me a favor. Do me a favor. Take it easier on the next guy. And then he laughs. He gets in his car and he rides off into the sunset. Flash forward a few years. Here he is coaching in the Super Bowl. Good guy good guy Kyle Shanahan he definitely gets it and Audrey Dunham by the way she sent in her picks as well she's going with the 49ers since she's a Cali girl born and raised so we shall see what happens who you got I don't know maybe you're KC fan 
I'm thinking the 49ers are the way to go. Now, Audrey, you can check out her line of vegan cookies as well. They are good for any occasion, not just the Super Bowl. Here in the U.S., place your orders at peanutsbakeshop.com. Or if you're outside the U.S., you're ordering internationally, you can head over to jeffdunham.com. That's her husband, the famous ventriloquist comedian guy. Awesome show. My wife and I caught him over the weekend. Hilarious, hilarious stuff. Anyway, you can buy the Peanuts Bake Shop cookies there as well. JeffDunham.com. Order your cookie kits, bake them up, and enjoy a tasty, tasty treat, my friend. And before we get out of here today, before we wrap up this athletic Super Bowl-themed episode, I want to say hi to the good folks in Washington, D.C., and the DMV area. I want to encourage you all to please mark your calendars for Friday night, February 7th. That's a very special night. Dr. Barnard and I, Dr. Neil Barnard, he and I will be doing a live taping of this here exam room podcast down at the Bus Boys and Poets in the City. We're going to be talking about his new book, Your Body in Balance. And that book, if you've been following the special series that we've been releasing here on the exam room, it explores the new science of food, hormones, and health. It's really all things related to diet and health. And we would love for you to come out and join us for this live taping. And oh, by the way, the ticket price, it includes a copy of the book. So it is an absolute bargain. We would love to see you there Friday night, February 7th. You can head over to pcrm.org slash your body imbalance for more info, or you can click on the link to RSVP. We've got that for you right down in the episode notes below. And speaking of clicking links, have you clicked the one to subscribe to the exam room podcast by the Physicians Committee? It's good to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever shows are available. If you haven't done it, you really should. And you should do that right now. (laughs) But in, in all seriousness here, not only on this show do we do fun episodes like today, but we're really trying to fuel you up with knowledge, not just for athletes, but for every man, woman, and child, so that you all can lead a longer and healthier life. We want to get this information in the palm of everyone's hands and in between everyone's ears every single week. The goal here for 2020 is to get healthier together. And along those lines, when you subscribe, help us get healthier together, please also leave a five-star rating because that helps even more people find this inspiring and life-changing and, dare I say, game-changing information. And please also share it with your friends on Facebook. Just pass along the knowledge. Help everyone lead a healthier life here in 2020. And lastly, check off the box here for some social media. If you're on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Chuck Carroll, WLC. And Dr. Barnard, hey, how about this? He's finally on Instagram as well, at Dr. Neil Barnard, Dr. Neil Barnard. That's good for Twitter and Instagram. PCRM, at PCRM on Twitter and on Instagram. That's at Physicians Committee. And if you want to follow Audrey, and get some more of her delicious, delicious recipes, well, you can find her on the gram at Audrey E. Dunham. That's an amazing follow. Lots of fun stuff on there. And also check her out at AudreyDunham.com. And that, my friend, that is going to do it for us this week. My thanks again to Dr. Jim Loomis and Audrey Dunham. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, keep it plant-based. <laughs>